Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If a fear cannot be articulated, it can't be conquered. Stephen King, 1975, Salem's Lot. Fear. If I were to open the dictionary of my mind and find its definition... It would read, Lady in the Walls. Creaking floorboards, scratches behind the walls, pops along the foundation. Common enough occurrences, these are the sound present in most works of suspense and horror as a primer poised to blast waves of fear through the brain, because they are something relatable and tangible to peck at, a vast store of paranoia kept away from the forefront of thought. These noises can be easily written off. The rational brain says that the floorboards creak on their own because of expansion and contraction at the behest of humidity and temperature fluctuations. Scratches behind your walls could be the telltale signs of mice living, priorly unbeknownst to you, in your home. Your foundation popping, moaning, Groaning, just mundane settling. But in Dover, Indiana, things aren't that simple. The above listed quickly became the symptoms of a dire prognosis. The irrational brain that fears the dark and small spiders, its job assigned eons ago when man was nomadic and superstitious, is to pose simple questions that quickly tear down whatever comforts rationale brings when you are unaware of how much danger you've wandered into or attracted. What are the odds that the boards creak only when your eyes are closed? How do the mice scratch the walls in a long single nail swath just above one's head? How does the foundation settle at 1.30 in the morning, on the dot, every night, groaning to the tune of Rockabye Baby? Her footfalls pressed on the floorboards, her nail raked along the inside of the wall. They were her taps under the boards at 1.30 in the morning to the tune of Rockabye Baby. I saw her for the first time on the night I left Wolf in the shadows. She dwelled behind the door to the furnace. The interior of the house, from above, looked like a U. Both prongs of the U was a bedroom. The one on the left, a master bedroom, dedicated to storage in my youth, with a full bathroom off of it and a closet. The bedroom on the right of the house was my parents' room, their closet shared a thin wall with the closet of the master bedroom. The room under the left termination was a workout room. The base of the U was a short corridor between the workout room and the living room, where I slept. The corridor had a doorway leading to the kitchen on the bottom and the furnace door on top. 
When I was alone, I could hear her whispers and jitters from the vents. I used to sprint from the living room to the bathroom and vice versa. The whole time, feeling hands swipe at my ankles from under furniture and workout equipment the whole way. One time, she snagged me. One of her hooks sunk into my ankle and began to reel. A gout of searing fear erupted from my mind and was pumped full force by my galloping heart. My leg tore out from under me and I was dragged along carpet, burning my elbows and chin. I craned my neck and screamed. The lady had me. Her grayed straw hair hung down over her yellowed green eyes. The pupils weren't black. Instead, they held a tarnished silver glint. Her dress dangled in tatters, revealing her wrinkled pocket skin beneath. She laughed and snarled as she dragged me into the back bedroom. I clawed at the carpet and tried to catch the legs of chairs and the edge of the doorway leading into the bedroom. She yanked me free of purchase each time my grasp fell firm on potential escape. I wailed. She pulled me toward the closet, whose door swung open on its own with a loud thump against the wall. I managed to grab a hold of the leg of the heavy burial. I felt her dagger nails scrape down my ankle. The thundering footfalls of my father stormed through the house. As he rounded the corner and cleared the workout room, her grasp disappeared from my ankle and my leg smacked against the floor. What's going on back here? My father bellowed. I wiped the tears from my eye and pointed a quivering finger at the open closet. She sat in there, peering from behind two thick coats. A heinous grin stretched across her face. She winked and shuffled into the darker recesses of the closet. A loud bang erupted from the closet and my father rushed over, swinging the coats quickly from right to left. Nothing was out of place. He walked back over and appraised my swollen ankle. He stared for a long while at the bloody nail marks and bruised handprint. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. You gotta be careful back here. There's a lot of junk to trip over. He helped me to my feet and ushered me to the bathroom. I stole a glance up at him and caught him looking over his shoulder at the closet. Its door slowly shut on its own with an almost silent click. She tormented me every night after that. I began sleeping with the light on, a habit I couldn't explain until my recent recollection. After a while, I stopped falling asleep altogether, electing to exhaust myself to passing out. I stopped going to the bathroom at night. When I did, I could feel her at my heels back to the living room. I took to relieving myself into empty bottles that I emptied out the following morning. Absolute terror. She embodied everything that I feared. She could be any place in the house at any time. And I learned to never be alone. I learned to never acknowledge her. When she grabbed me, I'd stare silently ahead until she let go. When she followed me around the house, 
breathing down my neck. I'd resist every urge to run and just calmly walk on. My mother and father's relationship suffered under the oppressive atmosphere. They yelled and hit each other. Plates were broken and holes appeared in the walls. One fight stands out the most to me though. They screamed, coils pulling at the skin in their reddened necks. I don't remember what triggered the eruption, but I remember being terrified. I peered around the doorway at them. My mother's eyes were lit with hate. They held a malice I'd never seen in them before. My father stood closest to me, opposite the table from her. His hands were raised to defend against the onslaught of spat abhor. Like fire from a dragon's maw, her words seared the air. They didn't seem to notice the furnace door creaked open behind me. Just a crack. I could feel her eyes. I could feel her crooked, wicked grin. I could hear her nails click in waves against the wooden, slatted door. Her sickly breath filled the room. Rot. It smelled like rot in the woods. Far off, but ever potent. My mother's face twisted into a wretched knot. Her teeth looked sharp, her eyes wild and yellowed. She snatched up the centerpiece from the kitchen table, a porcelain bowl filled with plastic apples and grapes, and lobbed it at my father. He dodged. The bowl smashed against the doorframe next to my face. It shattered into a shower of miniature spears. No other words were spoken between the two that day. The door behind me clicked snapped shut. My father turned, his face pallid and sullen. Later, I watched as my mother cleaned up the aftermath of the fight. She sobbed, and with every sob, I heard the lady snicker and giggle. My only solace, the only place I felt safe was my grandmother's house. Every day after school, I'd stay with my grandmother and my sister. I'd play with my dogs, Sparky and Rex. Cody passed away when I was five. I think it was a heart attack. And then I'd go inside. I sat at the kitchen table. I twisted and picked at the pumpkin and red leaf print cloth draped over the table. Quit your fidgeting. My grandmother pinched at my hand. She peered down through thick spectacles that made her eyes appear as big as saucers. She sipped from her coffee, always black, and returned to one of her daily bouts through the dramatic lands of midday soap opera. I laced my fingers into one tight fist in front of me and rested it on the table. What's wrong? She turned the volume down on her show, but kept an eye on the screen. My fingers squirmed like ten slimy worms fresh out of a rainstorm into the sidewalk. What do you do when you're scared of something and there's nothing you could do about it? My gaze transfixed on my hands. I couldn't look up. I was scared that I'd see the lady peering at me from the shadows of a cabinet or around a doorway from the corner of my eye. For all I knew... She clung at my back like a sweat-soaked shirt. My grandmother's hands enveloped mine. 
The bitterness of fear washed downstream, caught in a flood of warmth and reassurance. I looked up. The only lady there was my grandmother. Her eyes shone azure fire, and her smile, a line time had weathered in stone. You just grin and face it anyhow. Every brave man is a scared one with a smile. Her words resonated with the growing tide in me. The need to get this thing out of my life. A call to cleanse my mind and being. She let go of my hands and returned to her daily story. That night, I faced her. I felt her eyes on me in the halls and heard her laughter in the walls. I dared not look. The moment wasn't right. I waited. Mother and father fell asleep and then the furnace door creaked to life. The footfalls were quiet, her breath held. A cat readying its pounce on an unsuspected mouse. But I was ready and waiting. A weight formed in my throat. My heart ran laps in my chest. A feeling I became all too familiar with. An ancient trigger left for me by my ancestors long forgotten. Fight or flight. It served them well. My own existence was evidence enough. And this night, it would serve me just as well. Her ragged fingers gnarled in my hair like twisting roots and dirt, searching for more nourishment. That succulent fear she craved. It was subtle. So subtle, I would never have noticed it if I hadn't been waiting. I could feel her wicked sneer. She yanked my hair, but I didn't stir. The sneer then felt like a scowl, and she smacked my face to no response. I directed all my hate for her, a gun lining for the shot. I squeezed that invisible trigger, and it hit. She jumped and her face was set ablaze with surprise and puzzlement. That's when she finally noticed me. The lady looked up, but that was wrong. I reached out a hand and snatched up a fist full of her ratty gray hair. It was like holding a bundle of the driest brittle straw ready to burn. I pulled her away from my sleeping body as she howled and clawed. I let that old tug in my gut take me, and she was locked in for the ride. She passed through the roof and into the sky. My house shrunk into a growing swath of trees and countryside. The earth was a marble in a set, and soon even the sun looked like another far-off star in the sky. Starlight stretched into long beams which melded into a solid white sheet. The white sheet tore open, revealing a black void. I melted, but I held on to her somehow. The tree rustled as branches broke and leaves tore away from stem, as their arms snatched at our falling bodies. Earth terminated our descent, and I felt whole again. Here they were. The woods. The waiting grounds. I hadn't forgotten again since my final encounter with Wolf. How many times had I stood before that timeless land and its horrors and never knew once the sun dried the puddle of memories after the rain. I stood there and it felt like every night in recorded memory. 
It was a reunion with some part of me that never left. In that place, it was as much as my home, my prison, as all the other beasts. I looked to the lady. She peered from the shadow of an old, knotted tree. Her eyes were murder. Looking at her felt wrong. A mirage obscuring the truth. I knew at once. Show me what you really look like. My voice felt full of something more than just me. Another voice rang behind mine. It was low, almost inaudible. I didn't see it, but I felt her tense up. She ducked fully behind the tree, and she walked from the shadow. Her clapping hands echoed, and her form shifted as she entered the pale moonlight. Her skin was the washed-out blue of a long-dead corpse. She wore a pleated black dress with closed-toed red heels. Her nails were long, pointed, and painted black. Her raven hair was pulled into a tight, neat bun. Her teeth were pearl, and her eyes were bright silver spoons. This was her. The lady in the walls. She was beautiful in the way a male black widow must view his better half. Lovely, but deadly. Her claps came to a sudden halt, and the last echoes of it rang through the woods. A bell calling the last stroke of midnight. Bravo, bravo. Her voice was warm to my ears, addictive and dangerous. You found me out, but that won't change anything. She paced back and forth with her arms crossed. I'm not scared of you anymore, I called back. Oh, I don't know about that. She waggled her slender index in front of her. Maybe it wasn't the same, but I smell fear on you still. She took a gliding stride toward me. Stop. I commanded and the air cracked between us. She did and smiled. Ooh, you're really coming into your own fast. She covered her ruby lips with her hand. Well, little spider, you have something I want, and I might have something you want. She flashed her flawless teeth from behind her hand. I just want you to go away. Oh, I'm not so sure. She unbuttoned the top two buttons on her blouse. The cleavage that spilled forth inspired an awakening of sorts. There was something in that old network that contained the fight-or-flight file that screamed with excitement. Another primal urge that worked counterintuitive to the former. Fear was her weapon against children, and sex was her weapon against men. I found myself stuck in between the two states of being. No, I locked up. Just let me in and I'll show you pleasure beyond your wildest fantasies. She took a step closer. Come to me and discover my palace of worldly delights. Her fingers fiddled with the third button, the last wall holding back the flood. I said no. I yelled. The wind cracked again and she stopped. Fine then. She buttoned her blouse again. Pain then. Her form shifted. 
The dress and shoes tore away. Her head became bovine and horned with the same silver eyes. Her mouth filled with crooked clusters of thin teeth, hypodermic needles bound by gums. Fire crept from cracks that formed over her naked body. I readied my hand to form the trap door, the only way I would escape before. I had to be careful not to pull her back with me. She lunged, but before she connected, a red flash intercepted her and slammed her into the dirt. It was the red bear with the wormy stitches. He roared and swiped at her with his jagged black claws. I looked around. Viper, lion, goat, boar, and toad were there too. They swarmed us. They pummeled her and each other, while yanking me to and fro. A ragdoll game of tug-of-war. They begged in their many voices. Me, take me, let me in. They clawed and scraped at me. I broke away and crawled to a nearby tree. I caught my breath and imagined the knot hole in the tree was a doorknob. And so it was. I flung open the door and its wretched creak split my ears. Before me, a chasm of swallowing darkness. Behind me, reaching claws and snapping jaws. I lunged forward. I tried to close the door. But the fiends poured through like rainwater into an open sewer grate. I was tossed recklessly through the dark. I couldn't see them, but I could feel them clawing and hearing them calling. I tumbled and flew wildly from grasp to grasp. A sharp snap cracked from my hand as a clawed mitt snatched me. This was followed by an eruption of searing agony as fangs dug into my leg and tore me down and left. Consequently, I felt a pop in my right hand, bringing its own throbbing misery. I screamed into the torrent of drowning air, but the sound was mute to my ears. I was suddenly pulled up by my right leg, rending me from the jaws dug into my left. The fires of pain surged into a spreading tempest. My body melted into the dark but I could feel the weight of them on me still. I woke up in the woods. A sliver of moonlight broke the treetops. They weren't the woods of the wading grounds, but they didn't seem familiar to me either. Starlight twinkled through the hazy sky, no nebula or blankets of color, just muted starlight. The shock of my displacement wore thin, and the signals of my current state popped like bottle rockets flying from my limbs to my head. Swaths of spiraling pain cut through nerves from my left calf to the alarm center in my brain. I looked. Oh, I wish I could unsee it. But the image is burned into my mind, and a constant reminder of it lingers yet on my hand and leg. The greater portion of meat was torn from my leg, mid-calf, and tatters of skin and flesh hung off the bone. My hands rocked to the breach in my leg, and the horror escalated. The ring and lesser fingers on my right hand were gone, survived only by two bloody stubs of uneven bone splinters. The blood pulled under me 
mixing with the dirt and leaves. The part of my mind that wasn't screaming. The robotic indexing system conquered the memory of the time I spilled a bowl of apple cider onto the ground, bubbling and swirling. I cried and screamed into the frigid night air. The warmth drained from me and cold set in. Numbness fell onto my limbs. My breathing felt heavy, and a stiff weakness filled me. Pinpricks of black littered my vision. Everything slowed. The wind softly washed over me, a spectral blanket pulled up to my eye. The snow that began to creep down hung suspended like dust in a room whose doors had been opened after many years sealed. My heartbeat rang in my ears. Longer pauses settled between each kick of the motor. A still dark took my mind. Two hands clasped either side of my head, a vice gripping my temples. Her voice cut the dark and kick-started my heart. Breath filled my lungs in choking gasps. The weakness fled and feeling returned to my hands and feet. The pain was gone. I looked up and there she was. The lady in the walls. She cradled my head in her lap. I tried to yell, but the words never came. Oh, Brian. She shook her head, a coy smile painted ruby on her blue face. Look what you've gone and done. She lifted my head and I looked out into the woods around us. Hundreds of them shambled between the trees, each with their own animalistic head and features. You brought them all with us, love. She pulled her left palm from my cheek and rested her own upon it. She beamed down at me. Any moment now, they could run out of those shadows and take you whole. If you survived the struggle, that is. For a moment, the surge of pain returned to my hand and leg, reminding me of the first bout. But it doesn't have to be that way. She directed my gaze to her bright silver eyes with a gentle push from her right index finger against my right temple. Their luster and allure called that something from before. That buried away instinct to pet a hungry lion or open the door of a moving car. Not for any good reason other than it's an option. Let me have you. We'll share that skin suit and I'll save you. No more pain or worry, and you'll never want. I can give you anything and everything. Just let me in. What do you say? Haze filled my thoughts, muddling my senses further. Every voice in my head screamed yes, but one. One voice not my own. A familiar voice like a long-lost friend. I concentrated on the lines in her furrowed brow. I stared until my vision blurred, fuzzing the lines like rows of squiggling ants. I focused on that small voice until I could make out the words. She leaned closer to me. Well? My eyes were locked on hers. I felt a sensation I haven't felt in a long time. 
a wholeness. Heat surged through my body as she lifted me up and turned me to face her. Her eyes drifted to my right shoulder and a smile fell from her lips. A wet hand gripped my shoulder. He's mine, a gruff voice howled from behind me. I closed my eyes and I felt Wolf's head piston past my shoulder and his jaws snapped the air between me and the lady. The woods burst to life with the sound of fleeing creatures. I opened my eyes again as the lady scowled. She too melted into the dark and disappeared. I collapsed as blood spurted anew from my wounds. My vision faded. The wolf stood over me. His words echoed as I passed out. Don't worry, Brian. I'll take good care of you. I sit here almost 14 years later, typing away to get this blurb out of my mind. I was found by two hunters all those years ago in the woods of Hibernia, Indiana, near the river. Miraculously, I didn't bleed to death. They say it was thanks to the cold freezing my wounds shut, but I know now there was more. The hunters, Sean Berkeley and David Wayne, told the police that there was a large wolf skulking in the woods outside of the clearing where they found me. Now, there aren't any wild wolves around southern Indiana. It was brushed off as being a large dog, maybe even a wolf-dog hybrid. There are families around the area with those, but it was never clear. I know the truth now, though. It was Wolf watching over me. In the official story, I was attacked by wild dogs in the woods. I slipped in and out of consciousness for days afterwards. No one in the area ever came forward as my parent or guardian. I couldn't remember where I came from, or even who I was. I often thought about the strange woods and a big green wolf from time to time, but they were ephemeral and distant. Over time, it came back in flashes. Dover began to stand out in my mind. Neither Dover and Kelso nor Dover and Boone County felt right. There weren't any missing children reported in those areas around the time I was found. I stopped searching for several years and just enjoyed the life I have with my wife and our dog, Dorothy, and our cat, Melody. A year ago, August of 2018, the dream started. I dreamt of a picturesque river town in southern Indiana on the crest of the Ohio River, where the ghosts are as real as the people who cry them. A place where doors can lead you astray in your dreams. Every night, I'd stand before an old green house. A woman with piercing silver eyes calls to me from the darkness beyond the kitchen door, flanked on either side by two children with their own set of silver spoon eyes. I run to another house to escape, what I know now is my grandmother's house, but that doesn't work anymore. She's there too, hiding in the darkness beyond the kitchen doorway. I began to wake up in a cold sweat. A large silhouette stands at the foot of my bed, the hulking frame of something dripping wet 
the smell of wet dog and rot lingering in the air. The light blinks on and it's gone. I asked the spiritualist what I should do. She told me to open myself up to their message. I did. And this story is what came of it. The message I take from it all is formed by two words. Come home. I don't know what comes next, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll find myself before the steps of that greenhouse, and it won't be a dream. There won't be any escape. If my dreams are true, I might lose more than a leg and two fingers this time. I'm scared, but I smile all the same. Come what may. <laughs>